Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'm Pat Cummins. I'm Josh Hazelwood. I'm Elizabeth Kawaja. I'm Mitch Marsh. I'm Mitch Stark, and you're listening to The Unplayable Podcast. This is the Unplayable Podcast. On this week's episode, we wrap up the Domain Test Series against Sri Lanka and look ahead to the Ashes, which is now less than six months away. Joining us to do that is a man who has covered such events as the 1999 Cricket World Cup, the 2005 Ashes and the upcoming annual Best Buds of South Australia contest, cricket.com.au senior writer, Mr. Andrew Ramsey. Thank you, Sam. And of all those events, I think it's the spud contest that excites me most because it's in the future. That's right. And what are the the categories? We've got fried, baked, boiled, boiled. mashed, and uh, there may be a steamed section in there, although I can't confirm or deny that just yet. What's your specialty? Are you a boiled man? Uh, No, raw, because I can't cook. Right. Okay. Well, let's get into the cricket. Australia won the second domain test here in Canberra. By a whopping 366 runs, the game was uh, headlined by Mitchell Stark's return to form with 10 wickets and centuries to Travis Head, Joe Burns, Curtis Patterson and Usman Khawaja. So uh, Rambo, Australia would have wanted to wrap up the series, get their first Test Series win in more than 12 months, that Ashes Series on home soil in 2017-18. And they did that and more importantly, some players found some form and the batsmen finally scored some hundreds. I don't think they could have got much more out of it than they did, to be honest. I think if they'd gone into the series saying, this is our list of things we'd like to see, it would be obviously winning both tests, winning comfortably inside the allotted five days would have been up there to give themselves a bit of a break and recovery time and see some of the young guys who've come into the team um, and some of the guys who may have been struggling a bit for form through the India series get some results and they got all of the above. Let's start with Mitchell Stark. He was the man of the match. Ten wickets, his second ten-wicket haul. Both have come against Sri Lanka. Really enjoys playing against Sri Lanka. Lots of wickets against him and against them in uh, not many games. Uh, he spoke about blocking out the outside noise, turning off social media. He says he's, he's his own best coach. And then he also spoke to Andre Adams and Mitchell Johnson. There was a phone call in there as well. But he bowled very quickly. He averaged around 150 kilometres per hour during this test match. And while he was wayward at times, he still looked penetrating and was somewhere back to his best. He was he even got a bit of swing, I think, as he alluded to during the uh, uh, the post match the other day. Um, five wickets in both innings. You really probably can't ask much more than that. Uh, it was a bit of old ball swing as well, which was uh, here and there. Um, but he's just too fast for the Srankins, wasn't he? I, I think against India, where they've got, um, without being disrespectful, they're probably a slightly more experienced and a classier batting lineup than the Srankins were able to muster. Um, and they could keep his good balls out and then capitalise on the the wayward ones, as you said, whereas uh, against Sri Lanka, who he has got a phenomenal record against, um, they just couldn't keep the good ones at bay for long enough. And when he got on target, bowling at 154 kilometres an hour or thereabouts, which he was doing in the first innings, um, you have to be a pretty handy player to uh, to keep those off your stumps, and um, Sri Lankans couldn't do it. And once he got on a bit of a roll, we know what he's like. He's hard to keep out. He even got a hit wicket 
haven't seen many of them lately, have we, Rambo? No, that was an unusual one too, because often the hit wicket is you know, a, bats, a batsman losing his balance and falling onto the stumps. This was uh, sort of following through in a, with an ambitious hook shot um, and then just clipping the bail off with the bat. The four batsmen we mentioned earlier who got centuries, the first centuries for Australia in the summer, breaking a, a hoodoo that went back to, what, 1882, 83, way back then, the, the first time uh, an Australian team had gone throughout a, a summer of three tests or more without scoring 100, but... That was broken first by Joe Burns. He's uh, returned to the side in Brisbane, came back here in Canberra and scored a, a big 100, 180. Travis Head, 161. He's made in Test Match Century. Curtis Patterson as well made in Test Match Century. And then in the second innings with um, the game well and truly in controls when Kawaja. Um, it's hard to say which one was the most important. Uh, I guess they're all important in their own right. But uh, remember, which one do you think probably held the most weight in this Test Match? Oh, you know, first innings runs are always gold, aren't they? So you'd have to think that Joe Burns is 180 on the in the first innings, given the way the ball was moving around on the first morning in the rather parlous state of the Australian innings. At three for 28 when he and Travis Head came together, um, that was probably the one that, that set up the game. I mean, Travis and Curtis Patterson's hundreds helped build a sort of impregnable first innings, but just in terms of sheer relief looking ahead to the Ashes. I think the, the Kawaja 100 would have stopped a few furrowed brows around the place. Um, he, as Usman himself admitted, he's had a difficult summer. Um, and when you're not making runs, everything else just seems to be sort of compounding around you. So to get that monkey off his back. Um, and I think he was probably helped in a way by the fact that they were chasing a declaration. So as Tim Payne said, at the end of the game, that uh, I told Usman at the last drinks breaks, you probably got half an hour to bat. If you can get to a hundred, well and good. If not, you know, you've probably you've made a score. So, the fact that he was able to just play his shots, chase some runs, get a hundred, um, that's got to be good for him heading into the back half of the the Shield season or whatever the future holds for him immediately. And he repeated uh, after he scored that hundred that he needed a bit of luck. He had a a chance fall into open field which early on in his innings. Curtis Patterson was dropped off his first ball. Joe Burns was given a life on 34, Travis Head on 87, and then 155, but the damage had been done by then. But that luck hadn't been with the Australians in the India series, uh, but it's amazing when you do get some, they can cash in. Oh, that's right, and uh, I think the opportunities were so few and far between against Jasprit Bumrah and the other Indian bowlers that uh, they probably had to try and invent some shots to try and relieve the pressure, and that in itself comes with peril. So uh, the fact that they could find runs against the Sri Lankans and the Sri Lankans couldn't hold their catches. Um, it all turned into a pretty much one-way traffic. I mean, Brisbane was always going to be tough with the, the bounce at the Gabba and the pink ball under lights, but the Canberra pitch, which probably was much more suited to Sri Lanka, and they, they didn't really come within Cooey in this test either. It wasn't all plain sailing for the Australians. They had uh, some top-order troubles. They were both three for not many in both innings against the swinging ball and overhead conditions on day one, and then in the second innings under brilliant Canberra sky and on a flat wicket they again lost uh, top order wickets it's going to be a big challenge when they take uh, <laughs> when they take on when they take on Anderson and Broad over there in England under which will which will be seam friendly conditions remember what do they need to do to just assure that up and make sure that they they're not three for not many and leaving rookies in the middle order to come in and save the day uh, yeah I'm sure if you had the answer to that we'd be on the Australian Booper support staff yes. giving batting advice. Well, I mean, there's a selection spot coming up. Greg Chappell's walking out at the end of the ashes, but it might be too late by then. 
I think they will have picked an Ashes squad by the time yep. uh, that happens. Um, not ideal to be three for not many in both innings. Um, I think the thing that would have been most worrying about that was the manner of some of those dismissals. I, mean, I think Marcus Harris would probably admit that in both innings he missed an opportunity. Uh, he's The ball was moving around for sure, but uh, probably a couple of loose shots there that uh, he might want to revisit. Um, Manus Levishane... One loose shot and maybe he got the best ball, perhaps, uh, when he nicked off in the first innings. Um, I guess if there's a positive to that, it was the fact that we've often seen this, certainly in the recent past, of wickets falling in clumps and the fact that in both times they were able to stem the the damage and post a bit of a, a middle-order renaissance, certainly in the first innings. So, uh, But, yes, yeah, it's going to be a completely different scenario in England when you're playing against experienced bowlers, Sri Lanka's seam attack didn't have many tests or wickets between them, and yet they were able to put some pressure on. So, as you say, broad Anderson, cloudy skies, Duke's ball, close catches. It uh, This might be some sleepless nights for a few blokes between now and the Ashes. Yes, a 308-run stand between Head and Burns salvaged that first innings. It was the highest ever total partnership, pardon, by an Australian pair against Sri Lanka, and it was also the highest partnership ever by two batters batting together for the first time. So it was a historic test match here in Canberra for lots of reasons. We've seen records broken and uh, we've seen um, a fantastic test match in the nation's capital, which sadly probably won't get another test match until the next uh, Future Tours program is released in a couple of years. So then it goes till 2023. So there's only five test summers coming up between now and then. We'll not see uh, any more test cricket in Monica for a little bit longer. Uh, no, it's a shame because it was a it's a very good venue. It was a good pitch. I think mm-hmm. uh, Tim Payne commended the ground staff on the, the quality of the pitch. It had a bit of everything in it. Um, nice boutique style ground, um, but as you say, the fact that six Test summers are going to be a bit of a rarity given the World Test Championship that comes into force at the start of the Ashes. Um, you have to think that the five major Test venues will get, have their first dibs on those test matches and that Canberra will certainly be hosting some one-day cricket, but test match, the next test match might be a little while away. Finally, before we look at the Ashes, Rambo, should talk about Pat Cummins. He was the player of the series. Lots of wickets. He took 10 in the first test up there at the Gab, another four here in Canberra. He took 28 wickets for the summer. Uh, if he's not Australia's number one cricketer, he must be pretty close. He's uh, right up there and he's doing with bat, ball, he, he Pulled off that spectacular run out in the first test match. He really seems to be the go-to guy. And as Tim Payne admitted today, he uh, doesn't even take the new ball. He's the first change bowler. Handy to have a uh, first change seamer who can bowl, come in and bowl at around 140 plus uh, k's an hour, swing it and bowl economically as well. Um, yeah, he's a remarkable athlete, isn't he? Pat Cummins. I was, I was actually sitting out in the in the Sir Donald Bradman stand for a while this morning, watching the game from a different vantage point, from behind the uh, glass and the air conditioning that you blokes like to sit in in the press box. What were you doing over there? I was just talking to a few uh, people, you know, doing some reconnaissance. Okay. Um, I won't ask any more questions. And I saw Pat Cummins chased a ball to the mid-wicket boundary and threw himself and almost pulled off a remarkable save to stop a boundary. And you think, you know, for fast bowlers who were you occasionally or habitually just lazed at fine leg and you know, dawdled around and stopped off a boundary here and there. He's throwing himself around the field, pulling off runouts, um, scoring just, runs. And not just that. I mean, Australia had a 400-run lead 
They, they probably, could, probably could have left that walk out of the boundary. Yeah, I think runs were at a premium at that point. But yeah, that's probably sums him up, doesn't it? Fierce competitor, as always in the game, as they like to say. And uh, his first Ashes series in England will be a, a huge moment. He did come into the squad last time we were over there, mm-hmm. but to be there from the start, if he stays fit, fingers crossed, he'll be a, a major factor, I would think. And what do we make of the summer as a whole? Six test matches, Australia won three, lost two. There was a draw in Sydney, uh, one series uh, each, uh, win one, lost one. I guess um, it's been a, a time of transition with everything that's happened in the past 12 months. But coming out of it, Australia's looking a lot better than they, uh, than they were going into it, I guess. Uh, there was a bit of gloom and doom around at the start of the summer, wasn't there? Certainly, um, even though the, the Adelaide test against India, the first one, wasn't a decisive loss, um, and then followed up by a win in Perth. I think they admit they lost their way a bit over Boxing Day, New Year. Um, uh, the Indians just showed them up to be more experienced, more patient, probably uh, a bit more you know, aware of their, their game, as they like to say. But... Um, and I don't think anyone would suggest that Sri Lanka was a, a comparable opponent, but um, certainly the the way that some of those guys found their feet in Test cricket, um, you, it takes a while to get a team gelling. As you said, the the record for the partnership, two guys batting together for the first time. If Travis Head and Joe Burns didn't know each other much before then, they certainly do now. They would have spoken at the end of every over and run out of conversation topics eventually, which isn't easy with Joe Burns. Um, so I, promising signs, I think, the people who thought they were going to head to the ashes with not much hope might have to revisit that forecast. That's right. And lots of debutantes. We, who do we see? Richardson, Patterson, a lot of guys playing for their first their first tests in Australia, like Finch at the start of the summer, Travis Head. Um, so I think Tim Payne alluded, it, alluded to it uh, after play today that uh, the depth, the talent pool looks a little bit deeper now. That's right, and you get a couple of handy cricketers back in the next uh, eight or nine weeks, uh, Smith and Warner. Josh Hazelwood's there with uh, once he overcomes his back issue. You've had guys like Peter Siddle, who's been in good form, been around the team, hasn't been able to get a game all summer. So suddenly, you know, the back half of the Shield season coming, you probably have got quite a difficult job selecting an Ashes squad out of all those. Mm, which is what we're going to try and do now. Is that a segue? <laughs> going to pick our squad we're going to go with 17 which has sort of been the number that uh, the previous Australian tours uh, or teams have gone to England with 17 which allows a lot of flexibility and pretty much a backup in every position we'll start with the batters and let's talk about some of the guys that we think at certain locks for that Rambo and if we go down the list I think we've we've penciled in Marcus Harris Travis Head Amanus Labashain and Usman Khawaja are there our four locks at this point? I think at this point there's probably a couple there you could put in in heavy pencil, if not ink at this stage, mm-hmm. uh, in Curtis Patterson and probably Joe Burns on the strength of his innings in Canberra and his experience. So, um, But there, I'm sure there are others that will come up in discussions. Well, that's the top six that played in Canberra. The other guy that we had on our list here is Matt Renshaw, who has test match experience, has... Some pretty prolific county experience as well. He'll have four shield matches against the Duke's ball to prove his worth. And then he hasn't signed for Somerset just yet, where he played last year, but there's a good chance that he will link back up with them. There's also two batters we haven't mentioned, Steve Smith and David Warner. And they're going to be an interesting one, whether they come back in the side. 
Tim Payne said today that they're not going to be walk-ups, are they? They're going to have to try and prove their worth and get some runs on the board. How they do that, is that through the World Cup? If they make the World Cup, do they go on the Aussie Tour? I mean, this is the real big unknown. Um, we know uh, they've got runs in the bank, and credits in the bank. Tim Payne even said that, but whether they get into the team or not, that's another story. Uh, yeah, there is some tricky, especially given the, the competing schedule, because I... Sh- some of that Aussie tour happens at the same time as the World Cup, so you'd have to assume Smith and Warner are in a, the best one-day squad. So if they're involved in the World Cup, where do they get some red ball practice? Um, but you just can't imagine that they wouldn't be, if they're fit and have a bit of, you know, got up to, back up to speed with international cricket, they'd have to be in and around the, the best 11 from the first test, you would think. Um, and... If you only ever take three openers, I think if you're going to take a spare batsman, you probably often take an opener, don't you? Because mm. that's a, a specialist role that's difficult to fill at short notice. So if you've got Burns, Harris, and Warner, then um, there's your there's your three openers. Um, Plus yeah, you've, got, you've got Kawaja there as well that has slotted in at opener in the past twelve months. So there is some flexibility there as well. You're right, though. It is. I mean, how many would that take? Seven batters. I would think history shows us seven specialist batters um, and an all-rounder in there somewhere if they can find one. Is that another segue? Because we're going to talk about all-rounders now. This is just, you'd think we'd scripted this. This is seamless. Uh, The all-rounders, we've got three names down here, Mitch Marsh, Marcus Stoinis, and I've thrown in Michael Nisa. Probably take at least one all-rounder, you would think. Mitch Marsh at the moment is the test incumbent all-rounder, though he got dropped for the two domain tests here against uh, Sri Lanka. Marcus Stoinis was called into the second test, so maybe he's got his nose ahead, but he's going to um, he's gonna be featuring in that one-day side a bit, so he won't get those shield games you would imagine. He'd probably go into India and the UAE. And then Nisa is a bit of a wild card, but uh, he can swing the ball a long way, enjoys bowling with the, Nukes, the Dukes ball. A pretty handy batsman. He's definitely a bowling all-rounder, but I guess they more look at batting all-rounders. So it might come down to Marshall Stoinis, and I guess Stoinis at the moment, given that he was uh, drafted into the second test squad, he might be on the way to England. You'd have to think if you go on a recent selection as a guide to future selection, that would be the way they're thinking. However, do you pick us an all-rounder if there's no obvious all-rounder? Maybe you look at someone like Manus Labuschagne as your all-rounder, given that he can bowl a few... Handy overs his leg spin as he did in the test match here in Canberra. Um, and then you say to yourself, well, that frees us up to take an extra batter. Uh, should the ball be moving around and we're struggling a bit, can we get away with playing Manus as a bowling option, batting down the order, um, move someone else up to the top? I don't know. That may be something that comes in to, to try and force an all-rounder in simply because simply you've got an all-rounder. It seems like a almost a, a wasteful selection. Um, and English pitches tend to be a little bit more lively and you don't always need that fifth bowling option. And the thing with England is they've got seven all-rounders in their side when you've got Moen Alley and Ben Stokes and Folks and all these guys, you know, Chris Wokes, uh, they seem to all have the same r- <laughs> rhyming surname, but uh, they all are guys that can bat and bowl, which is very handy for them. Uh, it makes a good point because in that 2015 series, Mitch Marsh played... I think he played four of the five test matches and the one they dropped him for was the one that uh, Australia bought out for 60. His brother Sean didn't score many runs, certainly not in the first innings and not too many in the second innings either. So, uh, yeah, forcing an all-rounder in English conditions where you probably don't need one. Um, it's a good point. 
the keeper batting at number seven. Probably going to be Tim Payne, you would think, the captain. I would have thought that he's a reasonable chance of staying there. He's a good chance, but uh, they do like to take a reserve keeper on these long tours. We've got two names down here, Matthew Wade and Alex Carey. It's an interesting one because Matthew Wade is the form Sheffield Shield batter. Um, he probably won't, he won't take the gloves when Payne is uh, back playing Shield cricket, so he won't get much um, keeping practice there. And Alex Carey is the one-day vice-captain. He's also the premier wicketkeeper for South Australia. Got big raps in him. He's um, obviously leadership. Um, he's got leadership potential as the vice captain. So, as one of those two, which way would you be leaning, Andrew? Given that your reserve keeper is only going to play if your first choice keeper is injured or otherwise unavailable, um, you'd have to think that they would be on the keeping skills that they picked it. And as much as Matthew Wade is in very good form with the bat. Um, is he a better wicketkeeper than Alex Carey? I don't know. I, I'm, I'm no expert. I haven't studied their respective crafts closely enough. But you have to think if that's if it's an even money bet, then perhaps Carey gets a, a a nose in front because he's younger. He is only going to slot in if Payne's not available, which gives him you know, he's been identified as leadership material. So swapping a, a captain for a a one day vice captain. Um, and if they like him around the group, that's not to suggest for a moment they don't like having Matthew Wade around the group, but uh, clearly you know, character is a... An, and they like Alex Carey's character. He's, he's a very hard trainer, very good team man, very selfless person. So um, I don't know if I was having a stab, I'd probably say Carey marginally in front, but that could change in the last half of the Shield season if um, Matthew Wade plays a few games, Tim Payne has a rest, does extraordinarily well and makes an irresistible case to be chosen. I think the selectors have said that they want to see Wade bat in the top three. The reason why he hasn't been included in these test squads is because he's scoring those runs down the order. If he bats in the top three, perhaps he will um, he will be looked upon more favourably by the selectors, not to say that he hasn't done as all, as much as he can because he just keeps scoring all those runs. But, uh, uh, yep, Wade and Carey, they're the top two, you would have to think. And there's also Pete Hanscom, who's doing a bit of keeping in the one-day stuff uh, recently. So uh, he doesn't like um, he doesn't like keeping in first-class or test match cricket because it's just so long, but he can, reckons he can do it in 50-over and 20-over cricket, and that's what he's sort of eyeing to get that uh, that berth in the World Cup as maybe Kerry's backup keeper there. Um, so and wait. again, if you are going to take a spare keeper, you want to take a spare specialist keeper, yeah. don't you, because that's what you're going to need, that's as right. Graham Manu found out. Yes, yes. Fast bowlers, plenty of them floating around at the moment, Rambo. Our, our, uh, our locks are Mitch Stark, Pat Cummins, Jaya Richardson and Josh Hazelwood, who is TBC at the moment. He's a vice-captain. They've been out with a, a back injury. They got it pretty early. He's expected to be part of both the World Cup and Ashes squads. How much he'll play in the World Cup, who knows, because he won't have a whole lot of time to prepare for that, but... If he does miss out of that, he'll have plenty of time to prepare for the Ashes. He's got Ashes experience over there. Uh, there are four locks. Now, they normally take five bowlers, don't they? And they've, in the past two, 2013 and 2015, Marsh and James Faulkner were kind of that extra fast bowler, that all-rounder. Uh, so our other reserve quicks here, in no particular order, Chris Tremaine, Dan Worrell, Peter Siddle, James Pattinson, Jackson Bird, and Chad Sayers. Now they offer a variety of skills there, Rambo. There's pace, there's swing, there's seam, experience, youth, the whole lot. 
who do they land on? If, if they're going to be those four, and there's only a spot for one more, who do they take? Uh, that is a very good question. Now, that's where the back half of the Shield season may give us an indicator. It's almost like an old-fashioned bowl-off, is it? Some of those guys will go back and play much Shield cricket. Much better than a bat-off. Well, it is. Uh, a bowl-off is... Uh, you know, you, Everyone's excited by that. The, the Duke's ball, there'll be, uh, you know, late summer, the pitches will be hard and we're getting an idea of who can do something, nibble it around. And um, if you were just picking it on format to this point, you'd have to think that Chris Tremaine surely would be uh, the, uh, a tall bowler, hits the pitch, gets a bit of bounce, but can also move it round. He'd be a handful in English conditions. Um, the other thing is that they may have a few of these guys over there uh, playing Aussie, maybe some of them will get county deals, and they'll be in the uh, in England or in Britain if something would happen were to a fast bowler, they could rush them back in. That's happened before from people outside the squad. Um, mm. So you'd have to think that Tremaine Siddle has been around the group, so he's clearly in there thinking of being there or thereabouts. Um, and James Pattinson who has done extraordinarily well in England. He could almost be that all-rounder, couldn't he? He bats up the order. He's got he wants to bat up the order, maybe. But yes, uh, I think they you have, they tend to look at like-for-like like replacements, don't they? So if you've got someone who can bowl fast and swing as a, in case something happens to Mitch Stark or someone who can bang it in back of a length and you know, keep the runs down if something happened to Pat Cummins, it's the sort of thinking they have. So I guess they just want to cover all bases. I guess Jai Richardson's... Um Explosion on the test scene has made it uh, a little bit trickier for them. He, probably, he might not have been in the thinking you know, two months ago, but impressive debut up there at the Gabba and then a, another sort of performance here in Canberra. He's almost penciled himself in there for that trip. Uh, you're right. It's, uh, you know, Sayer swings at Birds, played an Ashes test over there. Siddle's got the experience. Worrell, a lot of people like Worrell. He um, hasn't played a whole lot this season, but... Was very impressive for, for Gloucester over there during the last county season, so I think uh, that's helped his case. Yes, and Peter Siddle's got more county games with Essex, so he'll be over there if he doesn't make the World Cup squad. And has been known to bowl in a beanie, which is always handy when you're on a long tour. Yes, it does get cold over there. And Pattinson has both Ashes experience in England and has done very well for Nottinghamshire. So, yeah, lots to think about there for that, that fifth spot if they go with their four locks. Speaking of locks, there is probably no certain, more certain lock than Nathan Lyon, who is by far and away the best spinner in the country. But they do like to take a reserve spinner because he's got a he's got a tremendous uh, injury record line, and he's missed a Test match through injury. Um, but if he jams his finger in a car door or rolls his ankle or something, he might not be able to play. Gets a, gets a nasty bacon bap on Test match eve. Yes, yes. Uh, who do they take as a Reserve spinner Farwood Armand went over there in 2015, didn't play a test match and instead got absolutely belted in the nets, unfortunately. Yeah, David Warner really took him to pieces. Um, what are we thinking? Is it is it uh, John Holland, who has been the number two to line in the past 12 or so months? Uh, they go in Ashton Acre, who's, uh, who's done pretty well over there in England uh, in a couple of test matches six years ago. Mitchell Swepson went to India in 2017. And then I guess you know, Farwad is still a very, very good spinner and has bowled over there, albeit not in a test match, a couple of T20s. So what do we think? Is Holland the standout, if at all, they take a reserve spinner? Um, well, I guess it's pretty rare that you'd play two spinners in England. It's not, um, although they did have a very hot summer there last year. And then if that repeats, there may be a few 
dusty pitches, given that the Ashes series is scheduled very late in the England summer due to the World Cup. So the last couple of tests are in mid-September. Um, but you'd have to think that if they were going to take a spinner, a second spinner, it would be someone just to come in, as you say, in case uh, something happened to Nathan Lyons. So you bit like the wicketkeeper, really, isn't it? A bit like the wicketkeeper, you want someone. And therefore, you'd probably want someone who you knew could do the job at test level. Uh, we know that John Holland can. We know that Ashton Agar can. Um, they like if the option of someone turning the ball the other way, perhaps. Uh, so, I mean, a leg spin is always attractive, but I'm not sure there is one who's uh, pushing a, a really strong case uh, at this stage. I'd have to think it would be between Holland and Agar. Agar adds a little bit with the bat. He's a very good fielder. Not saying that John Holland's not, but he's probably his record with the, the bat is uh, superior. So maybe that's the way they'd look. Um, but again, that's probably a position that you're just hauling around playing a few tour games, to be honest. Yep. The second spinner doesn't feature too heavily over there. So we're going to pick out 17 now. Uh, and of course, there's Manus Labashain, isn't there, who's bowled some handy leg spin. He was very productive over there. And the UAE and he's made in test tour. He's bowled handy overs uh, here at home this summer. So we've got him filling three spots. He's a top order batter, an all rounder, and a spinner. Well, they, they only need to take 14 in How that case. How does he go with the gloves? Because he, he might be Bain's reserve keeper. Apparently, he struggles keeping to himself. Okay. Well, in that case, let's rule him out of that category. So why don't we go Harris, Head, Lavashane, Kawaja, Burns, Smith, and Warner, seven batters. El Rando will go with Stoinis because he was the last all rounder in. Payne as the wicketkeeper and captain with Alex Carey, his understudy. Fast bowlers start coming with Richardson. Hazelwood, we didn't really settle on this one. Who are you going to take as your fifth? I still Quick. think Chris Tremaine. I think he is a, is a real handful. If I'm putting James Pattinson in pencil there. Okay, well, let's do that. And let's, only, let's do that. Let's take six quicks because Pattinson could be the all-rounder, maybe. Nathan Lyons, a spinner. And that's 17. Well, our second spinner. That's our squad. We've picked it. There we go. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Use the hashtag Unplayable Podcast on Twitter. Let us know what you think. Um, haven't had any so far. This is a live recording, so it probably makes sense. But uh, And if any current Australian selectors want to uh, engage in that conversation and give us their thoughts, we'd be delighted to hear them. Greg, get on board. I know you've only got six months left in the gig, but uh, let us know. Um, I think we've wrapped up, Rambo. That's the, that's the Australian test summer done. In fact, it's the Australian Men's International Summer done. There's still three Rose Bowl games between the Australian Women's Cricket Team and the New Zealand White Ferns. But in terms of men's international cricket, that's it. I can just, it's been an absolute pleasure and I can't wait for the potato tasting. What's been your highlight? You got a highlight? I've, I've just p- pick a highlight just out of thin air. Pat Cummins' run out in the Adelaide test was one of the more extraordinary things I've seen. And when you consider that he's a six-foot fast bowler who's not supposed to be able to do those kind of things it just adds to the degree of difficulty well that is it for this week's episode next time you hear from us will be after the australian cricket awards next monday remember you're going to be there i'll be there i'm frocking up wonderful so until then subscribe to the unplayable podcast on itunes and spotify head to bigbash.com for everything kfc bbl and for all your other cricket news scores and video go to cricket.com.au and the ca live app
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.